It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. There you go. Jeff Green. Sorry. As this game is going on, he's feeling it, and you can see he's rising to the occasion. It's the T.C. Martin Show. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. This is your captain, baby. Hey, come with me. The doctor is now in. Oh, yes, hour number two as we get ready for game number six tonight. Bucks trying to close it out against the Suns. Really, it, this is tough. I mean, it depends on who you talk to. Everybody could, like, make a case, but they make the case with the caveat. But I can see this happening. Seriously, this is one of those games, and it's been this way for several of the games, where people don't want to just jump out. The last one was certainly that way. Yeah. The last one was definitely that way. Yeah, and you know how Adam and I was about game three. Uh, That was the only game this series I said, yeah. Well, game one, Phoenix, I was adamant about. Game two, not so sure. Three, definitely adamant about knowing what that atmosphere was going to be like in Milwaukee. And then after seeing game three, I said, yeah, I think the Bucks are going to come back. So I was most confident in game three, second most confident in game four. After that, crapshoot. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Which is kind of fun unless you're betting the games and you're sweating stuff out and that sort of stuff. But if you're just watching for enjoyment, it's, it's kind of nice, you know. No, it's great. It's great. And again, because of the the history here of these long-time franchises and the Bucks who have won a title, but you got to go back to 71, 74, since they were really there again in the finals, didn't win it. Yeah, if you're and, talking going back before Kareem was Kareem, right. it's a long time. <laughs> yes, and when you see Kareem slash Lou Elsinder courtside with Oscar Robertson, I mean, that is cool. I'm so happy for that community there in Milwaukee. And then with Phoenix, I mean, you know, if you're old enough, you remember those Alvin Adams days, Gar Hurd, and the, the classic, you know, triple overtime you know, game against the Celtics in the sweaty garden in the middle of the summer. I mean, that was that was awesome. And then you remember the Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson teams, and you know, in the ninety early nineties. So, but since then, I mean, neither one of these franchises has done anything. So, this is such a a feel good story. So you can find yourself rooting for both of these franchises. But uh, you know, for me, yeah, I'd rather see Milwaukee win. Uh, I, I love the team that they have built. I love the, the lack of egos, the lack of me-first mentality, and I think Giannis and Chris Middleton really come to the forefront of that. Those are the those type of guys that are very sel- uh, unselfish. And, uh, again, you know, in Phoenix is a very young team, and we've seen some, some cracks in their armor, but it would not surprise me one way or the other uh, if Phoenix wins this game and we go back to a Game 7, then we're going to be having the same conversation over and over. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny, too, because a couple of people have asked me, like, well, you must hate Milwaukee, right? I'm like, well, no, they're not the Packers. It's not the football <laughs> rival like Bears and Packers. I actually don't. I don't have a dog in the fight. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like both teams. I don't really care who wins. I hope it's a good game. The only thing is if Milwaukee doesn't come out in green tonight, then I think they deserve to lose. Don't wear the no, blues no, off no. for something if else. If we see that blue... The blue water's blue. No, then that's I'm I'm gonna lose it. I'm saying I might be a late a late go bet for me traditional going Phoenix. tonight. Yeah. Okay, well, go I want traditional. the white. Don't do the green. Do the white. The home whites. Okay, and they did it in one of the games. You got to do the home whites. And again, they wore the white on the road. So I don't know. Scott Spritzer, he's a traditionalist. He's a handicapper. He's everything. Hot dog connoisseur as well. What's he knows, going on? He knows the Wisconsin area. Of course he does. Hey, what's going on there, Scott? 
Man, I'm just sitting here having uh, basically thinking back to the days of Randy Brewer and Paul Mokeski and Junior <laughs> Bridgman and Alvin Adams for the Suns and Gar Hurd for the Suns. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to see these two teams finally in it. But, uh, man, I agree with you. I want to see the Whites at home. Yes. Uh, and now throw this. You mentioned Junior Bridgman, okay? Old number four in your scorecard, right? Or, That's right. Yeah. So Junior Bridgman, still there in Milwaukee, my friend, owns a plethora of Wendy's there. So just just so you know, Junior Bridgman, big down there. Oh, by the way, Frank, he those Wendy's have carried over with Chili's restaurants in the Chicagoland area as well. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Of course. I'm here to educate, especially from the food perspective. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, breaking news here, Scott. Oh, guys, I don't know. Scott, we may have to have some movement in the line here. Tonight's. NBA Finals jersey, the Milwaukee Bucks wearing the black. Hmm. They're wearing the black. Well, you guys both wanted the whites. I uh, guess it went as far away from that as possible. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. Bad move. Bad karma. I'm telling you. telling you. But look what Phoenix has done. They've worn the blacks at home. Didn't do so good in game five for them, did it? Didn't do good for them in Game 5, and I'm telling you what, right now, if they don't win this series, the fans ought to make them burn the Valley jerseys that they're wearing. <laughs> Thank you. You're the Phoenix Suns. You're not the Valley, okay? Jeez, <laughs> oh, yeah. Cleveland's not the land, and uh, you know, Oakland's not the town, and the other stuff. And did you see the nonsense from uh, the, the White Sox game? The other night, uh, Friday night against the Astros, did you see what they You're were wearing, about Scott? Southsiders, the South Side. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's because they didn't think putting the hood on the shirt would look right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just really glad that was good. By the way, I caught that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just glad that they don't have any teams from my hometown of Omaha. I mean, they'd probably have on their jerseys basketball teams the corn or the farm. <laughs> you know, I'd have to deal with that crap. You know, you would. <laughs> that's good. The farm, the corn. That's good. All right, man. Uh, game six. Break it down. Well, guys, I tell you what. You know, it's one of these games where, by the way, I handicap every game every day with the potential of knowing that I'll bet every game every day. I never bet every game every day, but that's the whole thought process. Handicap every game every day. Find the best bets. This is the first time I can remember in several NBA finals where I've not been in action in every game. There's been a couple of games that I've passed, side and total, and uh, that's kind of my feeling on this series overall. You know, we've seen the Suns jump out to first quarter leads in, what, five of six games? I think that's a pretty good bet tonight, that they're going to come out uh, and, and win that first quarter. And you can get a point and a half with them last check to win that first quarter. Also, if you look at a lot of NBA finals over the recent years, going back five, six years, you'll see most of the time when a team is in having you know that opportunity to be eliminated, they tend to come out and play extremely motivated and hard that first quarter and we've seen them win the first quarter so i think that might be the best bet uh, the best way to go in this one we saw them again the other day they jump out to a 37 to 21 i believe it was first quarter lead and then after that all of a sudden it was all about Giannis middleton holiday could not be stopped 88 points 38 of 66 58 percent shooting uh, they just couldn't be stopped after that opening 12 minutes and they did just about everything they wanted to do on the offensive end Yet with 20 seconds to go in the game, it was a two-point lead. It's a second straight win in the series for Milwaukee where the game was a virtual toss-up with about 20 seconds to go. And in fact, they never covered the spread in game four until 20 seconds left in the entire contest. So that's how close this series actually is, even though it feels like Milwaukee 
is playing the better basketball. It's been anybody's game with 20 seconds to go each of the last two. And then I look at Phoenix a little bit. You know, they're decent off a straight-up loss as a favorite. You know, they lost last time out as a favorite. They're 14-5 and five next time up in that position. And they've won or outscored those 19 opponents by nine points per game. Then I went back and I looked and I said, okay, what has Phoenix done in triple revenge when they're on the road? They're actually 11-2 and two against the spread. They average 117 points per game. They give up 107 points per game. So they're outscoring those 13 opponents by 10 points per game. We've said a real nice bounce-back ability out of this team when they've faced a triple revenge situation or coming off triple revenge. One more thing that I noticed on this team, and we talked about this, guys, on the show after game one, and I haven't really talked about it a lot since on other shows I've done, things of that nature, but the loss of Saric in game one has affected this basketball team, the Phoenix Suns. He was so good at drawing big defenders out to the three-point line when he came in to spell DeAndre Ayton that it really spread open the floor for the playmakers, Chris Paul, obviously Devin Booker, even Jay Crowder to a certain extent. It spread defenses out, and it allowed Phoenix to be able to penetrate a little bit easier, either go inside for the bucket or kick it out to an open man. So really without Saric, they've had nobody to spell Ayton who is any kind of threat from anywhere on the floor. It's even worse than I thought it was going to be after game one when it comes to his absence and what it means to Phoenix. So that's going to be tough to overcome for a full game. Uh, the line's going. The interesting thing, guys, is that the line has gone down as low as four in a couple of locations, down to four and a half in about half the books. Uh, it's five still in most Las Vegas shops. But I've seen books reporting 75 to 80% of the public tickets or the tickets overall uh, coming in on the Phoenix Suns, and that number, the price, is also going down, which tells me that they're getting more money on the Phoenix Suns, or at least more respected money in some of these books, especially the one particular book outside of the state of Nevada that's dropped it all the way down to four from five just a couple of hours ago. But I lean the Phoenix Suns, guys. I think the first quarter is not a bad way to go with the Phoenix Suns, getting about a point and a half again, as I mentioned. And as far as the total, guys, I just decided to pass. It's around 222. Right, exactly. And I think a lot of people are thinking, well, possibly the under here, just because can Phoenix or both these teams continue to shoot lights out? And then the nature of this game, maybe the nerves are, are going to creep in a little bit. And can you know Phoenix continue to shoot you know fifty percent you know from the field, you know ninety percent uh, from the free throw line last game, and then you know a high octane what you know you know fifty five sixty percent beyond the three point arc. I mean, we've seen that. And, uh, you know, I think, like I said, you can make that argument that, hey, Phoenix is going to jump out to a lead here because we've seen it before. And we've seen Milwaukee kind of go in these little these little slumps. But you know that Milwaukee is going to rally as well, too. So the, you can make arguments for both sides. That, and I agree with you, Scott. It makes it very – it's a very difficult game to handicap. I just want to say uh, – throw out one thing to you here. When you're talking about handicapping this like in a triple revenge situation, I know it's very, very rare that the Phoenix Suns – you know, have lost you know three games in a row, and I'm not sure if they even did that once during the course of the regular season. But when you're handicapping that and factoring in those were regular season games, and then maybe that fourth game is uh, against maybe you know a Pelicans team or something like that, don't we have to factor in here that 
you're playing a whole different beast here in the Milwaukee Bucks. Not just the toughness and a team that you've struggled with here, but and, and maybe matchups are a big question. But then again, backs against the wall, and and the pressure is at its uh, at its peak here. So does that kind of level some of that out, where maybe we can kind of throw out like you know some of these past trends? Well, those thirteen that I mentioned, where they're eleven and two in triple revenge, playing on the road in triple revenge, that's this season and last season. So it's happened the regular season times. for the most part. Yeah, I mean, thirteen well, yeah. times over the last two seasons. As right. far as the Bucks question. You know, I, I don't have the Bucks power rated as the best team in the NBA or the best team Phoenix has faced. The best teams they faced were the Clippers and the Lakers when they were healthy. And so even though the Bucks, you know, are, again, one of the top five teams power rated-wise, it's not the best team that Phoenix has faced. So I get what you're saying, obviously, but I think the point spread, again, is that almighty equalizer, as I like to call it, and I think they were about a point overvalued. I, I think last night you and I were kind of texting back and forth, and I had originally made my number three on this game. And so that kind of also tells you why I'm sticking with the Suns, even though it's a small play. Uh, but again, four for a betting number for me. If I'm sitting at a book, I'd probably make it four and a half, and then i like to see where the public goes with it. Right now we're seeing, again, a lot of money and tickets coming in on one side, that being the Phoenix Suns at five, I think four and a half might have eliminated that a little bit. And maybe the books will have the last laugh if Milwaukee covers that five. But, yeah, it's a great question. But, again, what I power rate teams, I, I have Milwaukee is not the best team Phoenix has faced this year. Of course, the Lakers or the Clippers were the best when they were healthy. So, and, again, you factor in those 13 times this year and last year where they've been in this spot. So you're talking about the same nucleus of players, same coaching for the most part with the staff. And they know how to react to this. But, again, in those 13 games, and one thing that I'm going to probably, just for the heck of it, go back and see is how much time Dario Saric got in those 13 games on what he did in those games. He won't be there tonight. That's something to factor in. You got it. Scott, Scott Spritzer joins us, uh, Doc Sports. Scott, when you're looking at this game and you're looking at Phoenix, what do you think their confidence level is at right now? Because this is a team that rolled in the first two games. Now they've lost three in a row. In their mindset, they've got to be thinking they gave one or two games away. They had a chance at the end. They had costly turnovers. And also in that last game, it was the first time in this whole playoff series where they had a double-digit lead in a game and didn't hold on to it and ended up losing the game. Uh, So I'm wondering right now where exactly they are. I know their back's against the wall, but it kind of seems like they got to be thinking, we've had opportunities and we've almost given this thing away already. What do they do to get back in the mindset to play like games one and two? Yeah, I think a lot of what you just said is kind of the answer to the question because I think if you're the Phoenix Suns, if you're Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton, those guys, and Aiton's got to play better, let's admit that also. But if you think from their perspective, they're thinking we gave away a couple of games. Even if they didn't, that's their thought. You know, we turned the ball over too much a couple of times, like you just mentioned, Frank. Uh, We've been, you know, a, a made shot or a Chris Paul turnover away in the final 25 seconds from either being up three to two or having the series, you know, over with. I mean, they could be thinking that. Just from being around and doing a lot of shows with a lot of, you know, former professional athletes, I really don't think guys get to this level if they doubt their game at this point, if they're the Phoenix Suns or the Milwaukee Bucks, this case the Phoenix Suns because they're the team that could be eliminated. I think what goes on more in their mind is we got to clean this part up of our game. we got to clean that up. Milwaukee didn't do this to us. We did it to ourselves. Now, whether they're right or wrong is neither here nor there. 
I just believe that that's the mindset going on with these with these starters and the key players for Phoenix. You know, I'm looking at these uh, uniforms, uh, Scott, back to this tonight, and uh, the Phoenix Suns are going to be donning all orange. I, I'm looking at, I think, University of Tennessee Vanderbilt game tonight. That's what I'm looking at here. <laughs> University of Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Interesting. SEC bounce. <laughs> See, I went with the same conference, too. Pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept, I'm sorry, guys. I, I got a little allergy thing going on here. Was coughing on the air. I've never done that before. No problem. Anyway, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, we've seen the orange jerseys in the past, but <laughs> I would just like to see those 1970s oh, yeah. uniforms come back for a game like this. You know, as far as Milwaukee's concerned, as you mentioned with the home whites, or what we used to see out of the Suns back in the day. But uh, I guess you know, listen, you're you're there to make money. This is a business, and by creating all these new looks. The valley, the land, the Southsiders, you know, people go crazy for that stuff nowadays. Maybe not our generation, but we're a bunch of old guys shaking our fist at the sky when somebody rides across the sidewalk in our front yard, you know, with their bicycles. So I get it from a business perspective. They're just adding to that bankroll. And with the demand of the salaries that you got to pay today, I kind of get that. I still can't get on board with it, though. And that Southsiders basically was to me, guys, the final nail in the coffin, <laughs> right. especially when I saw people I know on social media going crazy for it, couldn't wait to be able to order their jerseys. I'm like, come on now, come on. I know, I know. Well, I, Scott, I like to call us traditionalists, okay? Instead of the old guys shaking our fists in the lot, I like to say, we're traditionalists, okay? Plain simple. I like that better, TC. I like that a lot better. Yeah, we're, going, <laughs> we're, and we're, we're sticking with it. All right, hey, let's talk uh, real quick about uh, Olympic basketball. We know that the Team USA, both the men and the women, had exhibition games here uh, in Vegas. Uh, didn't really go as well as they wanted. And now Team USA, shorthanded with this roster, you know, lost another guy again yesterday. They, they traveled over to, um, to Tokyo with only eight players, and they're still waiting on Chris Middleton, Devin Booker, and uh, Drew Holiday here. It, it's crazy. And Team USA has to open up against France, which is a... Medal contender, possibly even a gold medal contender. What do you make of this USA uh, basketball roster? Yeah, it's really tough, man. If they're able to come together and play on their game, they win. They're four to one favorites for the most part to to win the gold. And if they again, if they can come together, everybody plays their game, they should win. However, having said that, you know Australia has gone deep in the Olympics before with their basketball uh, uh, program. And we've seen them do it for a couple of decades now, for a few decades. They're right now at plus 900. United States is minus 400 at last check. I would be scared most of Australia. The one thing, though, is if you bet against the U.S., that you've you got to find a team that you think is going to win the gold. You don't just bet, uh, unfortunately, that the U.S., at least I haven't seen any uh, here in town in, in Las Vegas, any odds that says, will the U.S. win the gold medal or not, yes or no. Haven't seen those. Haven't seen the field uh, field bet other than the United States. That's what I'd be looking for if I was going to get involved. Uh, again, U.S. has to be the favorite because they have the most talented team, but there's not a whole lot of cohesiveness with this basketball team, and we've seen them even being beat by Nigeria. So they could get beat by France out of the blocks. I think they'll get by there. Uh, there was some you know, hope and some confidence regained when they crushed Argentina, but Argentina's probably the sixth or seventh best team this year in the Olympics. So again, for me, Australia's the, the team to beat outside of the U.S. and absolutely not going to be shocked to see the Aussies win Spain right after that at about 1,100 plus 1,100. So there are several teams that could upset the U.S. 
if they're not on their game. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am not laying a lot of points with this team, no matter who they're playing. I'm just not going to do it because I'm not so sure they have enough cohesiveness and chemistry uh, to be able to keep it together. They opened 14-and-a-half this Sunday over France. They are now down to 11-and-a-half in some books. I was going to ask you, you know, what uh, what would you make that line, you know, at 14-and-a-half and quickly got bet down, you know, basically because of what people saw here in Las Vegas where they were, for the most part, unimpressive except for the second half of that game against Spain on Sunday. Yeah, I, I basically thought they were going to come 12, 12 and a half in that neighborhood. I also get the bookmaker's standpoint of, you know, we're probably going to take more USA action than everything else. And I think they might be a little bit surprised that they got the action they did against the USA and on France, dropping that three points from where it originally opened. So I would have probably gone 12 and a half. I just punched up my line service here and I got about 20 books in front of me, both in Vegas, and then, of course, outside of Nevada. And it looks like most of the Vegas books are sitting at 12 and a half. Um, you know, just that's what I'm seeing right now. Uh, offshores, for the most part, 11 and a half with some juice on board. So they're definitely getting uh, serious action on the underdog France on Sunday. So you mentioned the fact that Australia is like a plus 900. If there was a field bet, would there be a bet, or where would you put it at that might entice you to think about betting against the U.S.? Gosh, if there was a field bet, it'd probably be a little bit shorter than that, but I would jump on it. And just thinking that I would have all those teams like Australia, Spain, you know, that could potentially pull the upset, France, teams of that nature. So it would be smaller than Australia's odds, obviously, because you got more teams that can win the gold medal. Uh, but, you know, I, I would probably jump on it, even though it would be a little bit smaller than what Australia is right now. But the Aussies, Spain, Slovenia, France, they could all win gold. Nigeria, Argentina, Italy, not likely to win gold, not likely to win silver. But in a head-to-head matchup when the U.S. is maybe a little off their game without having that time to develop that chemistry with players still shuffling in, any one of those teams, Nigeria, Argentina, Italy, could pull off a one-game upset. After that, there's really nobody else to worry about. But they've got about, oh, seven teams that could knock them off outright in any given night. And I've, got, I've actually uh, seen a field bet from one of our uh, sponsors here where the field bet is plus 550. And oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. plus so, 550 shorter yeah. than Australia. That's what I would jump so, on if so, I was going to bet. So basically your field bet can, uh, you know, consists of Serbia, Greece, Lithuania, Croatia, Turkey, and Canada. That's your field bet. Okay, well, that kind of eliminates the desire for the field bet. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because they, <laughs> well, it's not a true field bet. Be, right, you know? It's not. You're right. Because yeah, you so it's, it's, yeah, it's not USA against everybody. No, then. because, yeah, it's not like our, our, our Golden Knights bet that we, we won from right. uh, Mr. Mark Hayes, where, you know, he basically gave us the field, Scott, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm taking the Golden Knights. We said, okay, well, where are you taking us to dinner? So there you go. There you go. Well, I tell you what, when you said field bet at five and a half to one, I got a little excited there. Then you mentioned the teams and the excitement definitely drained out of this guy's body. So, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds more like a sucker bet. Well, than here, a field yeah, bet. And, and, and here's what I'm seeing here. So you've got prices like obviously on USA in minus 600, but then you've got Spain plus 600, France plus 1200, Australia plus 600. I think Scott said he saw it somewhere at 900, Argentina plus 4000 and Slovenia plus 1600. And then everyone else is considered the field okay so i don't know how excited i would be you'd have no, to, i would even yeah. make the bet because right. you're saying, yeah. you know no, you gotta one of those teams included in that so-called field bet has to win gold you know right. maybe they upset us or somebody does along the way but you still got to go through australia spain excuse me spain france 
you know, they're not going to they're not going to win gold over all those teams. So, Scott, when you start looking at the Olympics, I mean, obviously, you can bet on on things that traditionally you would not bet at all, you know, in the past. How deep do you go into that and how expansive do you do your handicapping, whether it's, you know, handball or even keeping in this basketball realm, say the three on three, which is going to be new this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at watching a, l- a couple of the events in the first couple of days first before I get involved, which is unlike what I've done in the past. We did, I think I filled in for you. I don't think you were there, TC. You were out of town, and I, yeah. we did a few years ago an Olympics betting instruction show at the Cosmopolitan with Brian and, and uh, Matt Holt and those guys, Jason, all those guys. And uh, we talked about it, and I was saying, you know, I'd like to get out in front of it before matches or games are seen and you can kind of take advantage of being, you know, right there with the books as far as the information that you've been able to acquire. Uh, but with all the oddities, the weird situations of what's going on leading into, the, into these Olympics, you know, I'm not real sure what we're going to see at the start. So for me, you know, it's going to be watching a little bit those first couple of matches for individual sports or team sports and then reacting to that. So, again, we haven't always been able to bet the Olympics in Nevada, and it's just kind of thrown us a curveball with everything that's gone on in, in the last year leading into these Olympics and, of course, testing. You know, i got to be real careful about making futures bets because they're going to be testing for COVID each and every day. You could lose a star player. You could lose, you know, somebody who's going to mean significant time or action uh, in certain sports as a backup or as a key role player who all of a sudden aren't going to be there that game. So it's really you got to be really careful that I'm going to be doing minimal betting this year. Scott, when it comes to that and you're making those bets, is there any different approach with because we know that sometimes the athletes get pumped up by the fans and the fact that there's going to be no fans there for any of this stuff, whether it's track and field or whether it's gymnastics or, you know, the basketball or anything else is, is, is there any kind of a, a letdown factor there? Or because it's the Olympics, do you think every athlete's going to be doing their peak performance regardless? All, all we can do, and it's a great question, and, and I've been like going back and forth on that one because it's such an oddity that we haven't seen before. All I can really think and do as a handicapper is base my upcoming uh, our thoughts on the upcoming Olympics on what we saw last year in American sports especially, where we saw no fans in the stands. Once the games got going, we saw the best be the best and the not-so-great, you know, doing not-so-great things, playing mediocre in whatever their sport was. So, that's all I can think of is that, yeah, you know, at first there's not going to be the same kind of emotion, but once the game, the match, what have you, starts, I think you'll see the athletes just hone in on, on the job at hand, on the task at hand. You know, I can remember, and not to bring up a tragic situation, but I was doing a radio show uh, during the Boston Marathon when the bombing happened several years ago, and I was doing it with a couple of the guys on air who I thought brought up good points, and they said, how does this Red Sox team react when they go on the road now? And I wasn't trying to be flippant or uncaring or cold. And I said, but you know what? If you've got that jock attitude or that mentality that got you to the professional sports league, or in this case, the Olympics, once you cross that line, to use a baseball term, and get into fair territory, your mind is completely set on the job at hand. So I have a feeling that's what we're going to see out of the Olympic athletes also. All right, great stuff. Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. Go to DocSports.com. You can check out uh, Scott's plays. Uh, great follow on Twitter, too, at Scott Wins. All right, man, enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we will see if we will be talking about a Game 7 coming up on Thursday. And how crazy is this, Scott, where we've had these two and three days in between games, and now 
Game seven would be just basically day after tomorrow with travel included here. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the schedule. I mean, you know what? Give them either two days off or three days off in travel situations. Don't wait till game seven. All of a sudden, you play two days later on a traveling situation. So the only good thing is both teams are equally involved, so it doesn't give anybody an advantage, so to speak. You got it. All right, my friend. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. There he is, Scott Spritzer. When we come back, Christina Madison will join us, the good doctor, our... Uh, infectious disease COVID expert will get her thoughts and we talk Tokyo games more news coming out of Tokyo today and uh, we'll break that down coming up next (laughs) check out his big stethoscope or not it's the Dr. T.C. Martin oh yeah there she is she's got the news definitely the prettiest doctor of the group Uh, maybe the only doctor of the group too Oh, the only legitimate doctor. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Doctor Christina Madison. No other show will introduce her like that. Like she's coming down the aisle and she's got the fist pumping going. Got the music pumping. No. I think most of those introductions are, and let's go to Dr. Christina Madison for our health and safety update. No, not here. It's Dr. Christina Madison pumping up. Give me the Woo! I'm doing my dance, guys. I'm doing my little dance for you. See, that should be on Instagram. That should go viral, viral right there. Come on, girl. There you go. We'll, ma- we'll make it happen. Right. Next time I'm in studio, let's do it. There you go. Oh, God. We got to well, recreate it. First and foremost, yes. I feel like I, I, I'm going through withdrawals because it's been like, what, like almost two full weeks? I know. Since I've been on this award-winning show, like... <laughs> Where's the ding on I, that I one? Like, there it is. I feel like you guys can't, I feel like you guys have forgotten about me. No, 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 no. Never ever forgotten. Are you, you know, if if you want to be on, you know, I mean, weekly, uh, bi-weekly or whatever the the terminology is, you know, that's that's fine. Uh, we got to get our producer on this. Our producer got to start doing a better sh- uh, job. Plain and simple. I agree. <laughs> You know, it's been a busy media week. Oh man, it has lots crazy. going on with public health the last so, week. <laughs> so let's get caught up here. First, I want to touch on the Tokyo Olympic Games. The we just got word that the Tokyo Olympic chief just said that he will not rule out a last minute cancellation of the games. And you know, Frank and I've been wow. talking a lot about this. About you know, at this point. Is there really no turning back? Because all the athletes are in transit. Most of them are already there. Uh, again, the television you know, uh, revenue and the contracts and their schedules, they're all set. And at what point in time are we going to see maybe some individual competition, You know, some of these sports get canceled? But now, here today, here we are days away, and the chief is saying, not going to rule it out. I mean, we've already said no, they've already said no fans. So I think mean, that's going to lose a lot of luster. But still, I mean, there is so much money at stake here. Uh, in your opinion, Christina, what is the likelihood that that we could have maybe no Olympic Games? Honestly, it's like 50-50 right now because, you know, as more people are arriving in the Olympic Village and because they're doing such aggressive testing, 
it's it's only a matter of time that we're going to see more and more people coming back and testing positive. Because here's the thing, it's not just the athletes themselves, it's their whole entourage. It's all their coaches. It's all of the people who, you know, help them. Uh, and as much as they're trying to limit it to just like their quote-unquote roommate, right, like they come in, they test, they have to take their temperature when they enter the Olympic Village, everything is done, you know, with independent transportation. They've done all of these things, and yet we are still seeing high-profile people testing positive, like, you know, alternates of the USA Olympic gymnastic team, which is a huge moneymaker, right? Like, this is this is getting serious. And, you know, when you think about uh, the number of athletes, which we talked about, that particularly waited to get vaccinated because they were worried that the vaccine would impact their performance, you've got a pressure cooker of potential high-risk, susceptible athletes that are in their prime. And this infection, we don't know whether or not it could you know, take them out of contention and they may not be able to compete again. Well, you know, you mentioned the Olympic Village and people coming there. You mentioned the women's gymnastics team. They just opted out of the Olympic Village. They're going to a separate hotel now because of the COVID cases that have been in there. They're afraid that the Olympic Village might be more like a Petri dish and not the safest Mm -hmm. place to be. So they're going to their own place. Do you think, should the Olympics go on, which I certainly hope they do, that we're going to see more and more high-profile teams or countries, like the men's basketball team historically doesn't stay at the Olympic Village, that we'll see teams in different aspects of uh, nations saying, we're not keeping our best athletes here in the Olympic Village, we're going to go someplace else. The Olympic Village might be one of the places that people are leaving instead of going to for the safety of the so-called bubble. Yeah, it's really interesting to to think of that because obviously we know the bubble, you know, model works and the NBA was the first to, to spearhead it. And we know that it's extremely effective. The problem is, is that there are some of these, you know, other countries that maybe don't have the financial means in order to do that and can't you know, take their athletes outside of the Olympic Village or, you know, some of these athletes, they've probably saved up for years in order to be able to pay for the accommodations for not just themselves, but the other part of their, you know, their crew and their coaches to be able to come. So I think it would be really challenging for everyone to do that. They are doing everything they possibly can in order to try to make this as safe as possible. The problem is, is it doesn't matter how good your bubble is if the transmission rate in the community that you are in is super high, which we know this Delta variant is out of control. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. This virus will outsmart you every time. So the number now is 71 positive COVID cases. Uh, and we're just days away from the Olympic Games. That number is rising. And... We're talking about money and maybe going, you know, we're, we're beyond if canceling these games from a financial standpoint. Well, Toyota, the biggest sponsor of these Olympic Games, they have said they are not going to run their ads because of the COVID uh, possibilities here with these Olympic Games. So you won't see any Toyota ads. The biggest sponsor wow. of this Olympia. That's huge. Yeah. That's a huge statement. And Again, it goes back to not to like beat a dead horse, but like the public health aspect of this, right? Because it's like as much as we want the games to go on, is it really good public health sense 
to, you know, potentially, you know, subject these athletes at the prime of their life to the possibility of getting this very, very possible deadly disease, right? So, you know, I, granted, I don't know what uh, financial potential issue this may be for Toyota because, you know, those contracts were already set in place. And so regardless of whether or not they they run their ads, I don't know if that means that they're pulling their funding too, right? Because sometimes if those contracts are already met, that money's already spent. So is this a personal choice that they're making? Is it a statement that they want to make? I don't know. But what we should be talking about is what do we do with the athletes now, right? What are we doing with the athletes? What are we trying to do to help protect them as much as possible? And if it looks legitimately like we cannot protect them, then we need to do what's best for the athletes and maybe not what's best for the organizer's pocketbooks. Right. So going back to what you were talking about with the Olympic Village and Frank brought up, you know, hey, the NBA players, some of the high profile athletes, you know, stay in hotels, that sort of thing. So we were talking about this last hour that the Olympic Village has cardboard beds. What is your thought about cardboard beds and the reason why they have put cardboard beds in the Olympic Village? Because they're out to deter sexual activity. Now tell me how a cardboard bed would deter that place. Uh, that is a great question. Um, maybe not so much the act itself, but maybe the cuddling after. <laughs> I guess that would be un- uncomfortable on a cardboard bed, even though we saw some goofball from England jumping up and down like a trampoline, and it seemed to to hold that. So, I- and, and I think that was what some people actually referenced, that it wasn't necessarily the cuddling afterwards, but the actual act itself that the cardboard bed might give in and collapse on it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. My goodness. Is this just a cheap uh, – I look at it that – this is just a cheap way to go. I mean, that's the way See, I look I at it. I think it's a cheap way to go, too, because it, what doesn't matter what type of bed you have in there if people are going to be restricted to their rooms anyhow. They're not supposed to be going from room to room. Right. You right. know? But why would you want to make the athletes comfortable, though? I mean, why? It seems, I agree. To me, that is just such a slap in the face. It's like they've trained all their lives for this, and, and you're going to put these people on cardboard beds? It has to be the reason. It's not to deter sex. I don't know why they came up with that. That's what they're saying. But but seriously, yeah, you're right. I mean, people aren't gonna, shouldn't be going in and out. They should be monitoring that. But you have to be comfortable. But with so many you know beds, it has to be a cost factor, right? Do cardboard beds come in? Basketball player size, I, exactly right. I mean, it's good. They're they're usually comfortable, uncomfortable when they're on the road, unless they get special beds. Anyhow, you ever been in a hotel room in Japan? There's not a lot of you know large beds there. I have they're not. Small. <laughs> they're you, small. There she goes. I have. I went to Tokyo. See, I did. <laughs> and that's small. fine for the four foot eleven, you know, Christina Madison. Hey, five, two, five, five three. Five three. Oh, look at that. She's grown. All right. Have you been in a uh, Tokyo hotel with a cardboard bed? Yeah. <laughs> I have not. And don't want to be. Maybe you were and didn't even know it. Maybe they just didn't put that on there. <laughs> All right. So here's what I want to ask right. you. Okay. Uh, and, and bring this back to, to local here. Uh, I see that they have these drawings. And uh, I think this was what, California. I think there's one even here in Nevada, Christine. And you could correct me here. A drawing of $1.5 million to people who are vaccinated. And I'm saying, why are we doing this? And more importantly, where is this money coming from of this, you know, carrot being dangled? Hey, we're going to have these drawings for all of this cash if you're vaccinated. 
Where's this money coming from? Uh, so that's an excellent question, and I do not have the answer to that. I know that there were some federal dollars that were specifically allocated to education and vaccine administration. I am not sure if this would go under that bucket. (laughs) Um, I do know that incentives and enablers are something that we've used in public health in the past. Uh, It is something that is concerning when you look at, like, other countries that can't even get access to the vaccine. And here we are paying people millions of dollars just to get a vaccination that other countries would, you know, kill for, right? So, um, again, you know, you look at the example of Ohio, right? So Ohio was one of the very first states to offer this vaccine lottery. And they just published a paper looking at um, you know, whether or not it, it actually increased the rate of vaccination. And initially it looked like they had increased it, but really what it was was that they, it coincided with when the age range opened up to the general population. And so really those people would have gotten vaccinated anyway. So, you know, the data is showing that these incentives are really not doing what we think they are supposed to do. It's just unfortunate because I think they feel like, you know, at the at the state and the federal level, that this is what we need to do to get to that movable middle. Right. So those people who have been on the fence and maybe don't want to get vaccinated or or maybe they want their questions answered. Right. So maybe they're not necessarily anti-vaxxers, but they just literally just have questions and they just don't feel like their questions have been answered. Right. And so it's just a matter of like sitting down with them, talking to them and figuring out what their reason is for why they don't want to get vaccinated and then making it literally as easy as humanly possible for them to be able to get vaccinated. So I'll tell you, so like last weekend I did, or last week, I should say uh, the, our local immunization coalition sponsored a jab for joint events. So, like, we're even going into dispensaries now to try to get people vaccinated because really it it is about, you know, going to where the people are. Right. And it's it's a it's a great, unique, catchy thing. But I'll tell you, there was probably only like 15 people there, you know. So it's like how how much do we need to do to try to get to the people? And honestly, I feel like the only thing that's going to really push people is the fact that more people are getting sick and are being hospitalized. That's the only thing that's going to push people. Yeah. And remember, even if you do go to jab for joints, don't pass the needle. You can pass the other thing, but not the needle because you need a fresh one. Every what time. But by the oh, way, I, I'm low key. Faded, bro. I, I did want to go back to when you were talking about this incentive program, because there's been a lot of backlash from it from some people, too. There's people with health conditions and that that say that they can't get vaccinated. They're upset that they can't be in the drawing because it's not necessarily of their decision. I don't know how much truth or not there is to that. The people that can't get vaccinated. There's also a lot of people I know myself included that think it's kind of BS that. If we got vaccinated early and tried to do the responsible thing, we did it before they started the incentive, so we're not in the drawing. It's almost like... No, you are. When did that change? Because I was told that we weren't. Yeah. Mm-mm, no, they they clarified that, that it's anybody who uh, is in WebIZ, which is the state immunization registry that has a COVID vaccine, 
you're automatically entered. Okay, well, that's better to hear then, because I wonder if the backlash is one yeah, of the things it's that everyone. happened for that. It's everyone. It's everybody who's been vaccinated. So we could win, TC. There you go. Let's go. We, yep. we could use that money. Dr. Christina Madison joins us, Roseman University, our infectious disease expert, uh, COVID expert, of course, as well. Expert just of all things medical, as I like to say. Christina, we know people who are vaccinated that are getting COVID again. Is this because they've, they've had it once or is it because possibly the shot is wearing off? What, what do we know about this? Yeah, so first things first, the vaccine is not a silver bullet, right? So we know that it, the biggest thing that it helps to protect against is hospitalization and death. That's the first thing I want to tell people, because I think there was this misconception that we assumed that if you got vaccinated, that meant you absolutely couldn't get COVID. And that wasn't its intent. So that's number one. Um, The reason why people are getting what we call these, quote unquote, breakthrough cases is a couple of reasons. The first is because everyone's going out unmasked. And so and then this Delta variant. So the Delta variant, it it is so highly transmissible, meaning that if one person is infected, that means that that one person is going to go on and infect five to eight other people. And then those five to eight people are going to infect another five to eight people and another and another. And so you can see it's just exponential. And so if you have a vaccinated person around mostly vaccinated people, right, and maybe one or two people that may or may not have COVID, they're usually okay. But in this instance, right, where we've got like six out of out of 10 people that are unvaccinated, because that's what our vaccine rate is right now, that means a majority of your people are unvaccinated. That puts your vaccinated people at risk. And the longer they stay around other people unmasked, the more the chances that they'll potentially get infected. So it's not necessarily that the vaccine is wearing off because we do know that these vaccines are very robust against Delta. If they weren't, we'd see a lot more cases. The problem is the amount of exposure and that's what's causing the breakthrough cases. It's not that the vaccine isn't working. It's just that there's not enough people that are vaccinated to do the job it's meant to do. So, so do we know like, how long this that that vaccine that vaccine you know will last, or is it like a flu shot where hey you have to get it one, once a year? Do do we know much about that yet? Like the longevity of this? Yeah, yeah. So really interestingly enough, a couple things they just um, uh, published some data looking at the durability of the vaccine, right? So how long does it last? So the initial data said we thought was at least six months. Now it's looking like it's probably several years. And then in some instances, if say you had the natural infection, so you actually had COVID-19 before you were vaccinated and you got both doses, those people might even be immune for life. So the vaccines are highly effective. And it we don't think it's going to be like a flu shot. We don't think it's going to be that you're going to need a booster dose. However, I will say there are some people within the population, right? So people who have chronic medical conditions like diabetes or uh, heart disease or people who have a compromised immune system, those people who may not have mounted the, the full response to the vaccine the first go round 
those people potentially may need a booster, but it's not going to be the general population. And it's going to really be case by case and a decision that you make with your individual healthcare professional. You know, Numchuck just did the happy dance here. You should have seen. I mean, he was jumping up and down going crazy because he got the two-shotter. Well, he, do- he doesn't want me to stab him again. He doesn't. Who does? We don't like stabbing. I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of fun. Might be pleasant. I'm a very nice person. You absolutely. Didn't hurt I'm at a, all. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gentle touch. No question about it. All right, uh, before we let you go here, uh, we heard the CDC is recommending people wear masks in public places. Uh, sounds like you're an advocate for that as well, too. we got to keep wearing masks, right? So here's the thing. If you are in a public place and you cannot confirm the vaccine status of the people that you're around or the likelihood that they are unvaccinated, you should be wearing a mask. So that's the rule of thumb. What, however you interpret that, that's how you want to interpret it. But if you can't confirm that the person you're around is vaccinated, the only other thing that we can do at this point is to protect you with that physical barrier. And we know that that reduces the rate of transmission. Is it just, so, a, matter, is it just a matter of time before Nevada gets a mask mandate again? So obviously with the Southern Nevada Health District coming out with that announcement on Friday, it was a big deal, right? Because we were just barely starting to get everything open again. Um, You know, June 1st was like everybody was so excited, right? Because everything was open 100%. But here's the thing. We're paying for that now, right? Our our percent positivity rate went from 3% to over 10% in less than a month. We are now, um, our ICUs are 80% full, and it's all unvaccinated people, you know, almost the- inc- exclusively unvaccinated people. So do I think that the mask mandate may come back? Possibly. I think, again, it's going to go back to the difference between lives versus livelihood. And unless we're doing things like what we did at uh, T-Mobile Arena when we were doing the clear path, where we actually confirm people's vaccination status, I don't know what other thing we can do other than just asking everybody to wear a mask. Because we're not asking for proof. This was so informative. We should have you back on regularly, more often. Right? (laughs) Dr. Christina Madison, uh, the public health pharmacist, follow her on Twitter, her podcast, everything. Pump it up, girl. Yes, follow me online. I have all kinds of helpful tips. Uh, you can occasionally see me on your local broadcast network. Um, I was on Fox on Friday, Channel 3, earlier this week. So, yeah, uh, at the Public Health Pharmacist, or you can just Google me, Dr. Christina Madison. I'm happy to help. Um, and my goal is really to just um, provide the public with uh, factual Uh, information that is timely, that helps you to make the best decisions for yourself and your family, and to keep you happy and healthy. You left out award-winning radio show. And to go on award-winning radio shows, like (laughs) T.C. Martin. Can can they just Google Happy Dance? There you go. (laughs) Yeah, Google Happy Dance. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Christina. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. She is a a great follow there on Twitter as well for all of your public health updates. All right, for Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. B.J. Armstrong, Scott Spritzer. Thanks to everybody. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2. Go to the website for it all at tcmartinshow.com. Game 6, Bucks, Suns, tonight.